Well, every blessing to you all, and welcome back to my open air pulpit, and a very happy new year to you all. It's hard to think that another year has passed, and a new one is about to begin. 2015 was a very busy year for Patrick and I, a very blessed year. We were able to do two major outreaches, one on the south coast of England, and one in Spain. And we think we gave out around 70,000 tracts, plus dozens of Bibles and DVDs, and Lord willing, we will be able to increase the tract distribution and Bibles and DVDs throughout this year of 2016. But what a year it's been. Many people spoken to, many videos made up at the open-air pulpits, weekly Sunday messages being streamed, and sometimes people ask me, do you get a lot of feedback from those you speak to on the streets? Well, yes and no. But please understand this, that Patrick and I, for the most part, are the first point of contact that many people are going to come into contact with. You see, street work is a long-term ministry. It takes, on average, one to three years for a typical sinner to be saved. It took me three years to get saved. So we are speaking to people on many occasions for the first time, and I doubt they've heard it before. So, if you are looking to do street work, and if you are looking to get instant feedback, you won't get it. Most people that we speak to have never heard the true gospel before. Yes, of course, they've heard of Jesus Christ, but they haven't really understood or received the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so wonderful to be able to speak to people. So we can improve on our 70,000 tract distribution from last year, and as we progress throughout this year of 2016 to maybe 90,000, along with an increase in Bible and DVD distribution, we'll be so thankful to the Lord for that. We've got a lot of plans for this year. Later this month, we'll be going down to London, Patrick and I, to do probably a three to five day outreach. We're not sure exactly when or where in London we'll be heading off to, but once we get our new banner from our brother in America, off we go to London to get the word of God out. And I can't encourage you enough, those of you which are born again, to try and do likewise. We're not all the same, that's true. We're not all called to street preach, and we're not all called to do videos such as this, but we are all called to be ambassadors for Christ. So if you can, if you have feet, if you can walk, if you can speak, then you can do something for the Lord. But as we're standing here today, there are many parts of the UK which have been experiencing great floods from Wales to England to Scotland. And yet how blessed we are in the northwest where we are that there have been no floods, there have been no major problems, and yet Manchester City Centre, not a million miles from where I'm currently standing, experienced some pretty heavy rain just after Christmas. But what do you expect? God is a holy God. He won't tolerate sin forever. And he will flood the earth as when he needs to. He did it back in the Old Testament. And yet, as of now, you're watching some very nice pictures on the screen, very relaxing pictures. And yet, spare a thought for those that are mopping up after the floods which have come into their parts of the UK. But God is angry with the wicked every day. The Bible says he hates all workers of iniquity. And yet, at the same time, it says he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So the ball is very much in your court when it comes to salvation. But how blessed we are, and it is always good to give the Lord thanks and praise that we haven't been affected by the bad weather. In fact, we've been as busy as always. We were out Christmas Eve doing street work, and uh, we did some tracks on Christmas Day. All of the shops in the UK are closed, so we weren't able to do much street work but we were able to leave tracks at bus stops and then after Christmas Boxing Day onwards pretty much back to normal business as usual but these pictures that you're looking at really do set the scene for the tranquility and blessings from Almighty God that psalm comes to my mind be still and know that I am God Jesus Christ would say let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a great God we serve. And I've been saved for 14 years now, and I've been very blessed to speak to people all over the UK, and also half a dozen countries, and I can't find anybody, any deity that comes anywhere near Jehovah. We call him Jesus Christ, the great God, the God-man. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So I will just say this to you before we get into the main subject today, that if you're not born again, please get born again. Please turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Bible promises that you will pass from death unto life. So I think you've probably seen enough from some of the locations that I'm able to travel to, to make videos such as this. But like I say, this will be my 14th year as a Bible-believing Christian. And I wasn't raised in a Christian family. Yes, my parents are Catholic, but Catholicism and Christianity are not the same thing. I wasn't saved until 14 years ago. Patrick got saved before I got saved, and he was able to witness to me. He was able to speak to me. He was able to encourage me to seriously examine myself. And I was a pretty self-righteous character before I got saved. And yet, one of the great things that the Lord has been able to do for us, not only save our wretched souls, not only give us a video ministry such as this, or a street ministry, or a website, but he's been very gracious to give us a radio ministry, a shortwave radio ministry. But anyway, it's 2016, and as you know, we like to be busy at this ministry. We like to quote the scripture, he that winneth souls is wise, and we like to encourage brethren to go onto the streets and get the word of God out, but you need to get the gospel straight. Because if you get the gospel wrong, if you preach your own gospel, if you preach a cursed gospel, if you preach a false gospel, people are going to perish. It's imperative that you preach the right gospel. And I can remember years ago when I first got saved, listening to a preacher who said that once the new Christian gets justification down and revelation down, he'll be victorious. And what he was saying was this, that <clears throat> until you understand justification, how a sinner is received by God, how a sinner is saved by God, until you receive that message correctly, until you understand it, not only are you not going to be of any help yourself, but you won't be able to help others either. On top of that, until you get revelation down, everything else won't come into place. You have to get the dispensations in the right place. Otherwise, everything is going to seem out of place. It's like a jigsaw. Get the first part in, get the second part in, get the third part in, and it all comes together nicely. But if you take one part out of the equation, if you take a second part out of the equation, if you take a third part out of the equation, it won't fit. The Bible is a jigsaw. So I hope this message will be a blessing to those of you which are saved, to those of you which want to do street work, to go on and share it with other people. But like I say one more time, if you don't get justification down correctly, not only are you doing yourself a disservice, you are doing others a disservice as well. And if you mess up on revelation, if you fail to understand the scope of revelation, if you fail to clearly understand it, you won't understand the rapture or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are those thoughts in mind, please? Not a scripture to cover today on this New Year's Day, and I can't complain, although it's slightly breezy. It's dry, and it's rather mild, but as always, a lot of scripture to cover, and I hope you read along with me. It's not acceptable to just sit back and watch your favorite YouTuber. You need to read along with him to make sure that what he's reading is correct. My uh, view is irrelevant. My thoughts on any subject are irrelevant. What we are interested in is what the Word of God actually says. 
So let's start today, if we may, in Titus chapter 3, Paul the Apostle speaking in verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Saviour toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, verse 5, out goes the Mass, <coughs> out goes being baptised, out goes fasting, or giving to charity, or doing this, or doing that. You don't save yourself. Okay, salvation is a free gift. Grace simply meaning God's righteousness at Christ's expense. You see, you're no good. I'm no good. So God has to do something to make us right. But at the same time, he can't stop being who he is. He won't compromise on his holiness. So how is he going to make man right when man isn't right? How is he going to receive sinners unto himself without compromising his own standing? Let's read on. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. On top of that, your righteousness is as filthy rags. If you understand the presence of Almighty God, it would be an abomination. I gave you that account back in the Gospel of Matthew some time ago of a king who had a party and uh, some character made it into the king's presence with his own righteousness. I think it's Matthew 21 or 22, thereabouts. And the king said, how did you get in here? Where did you get your audacity from to be in my presence? Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. There's a picture of a sinner having the audacity, the affront, to stand in the presence of a holy God and say, look at me, Lord, what a great man I was. What a great woman I was. That's an affront to our Lord. But according to his mercy grace he saved us from all your past, present and future sins by the washing of regeneration that's a new birth and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved what the Lord Jesus Christ say I'm the way, the truth and the life no man cometh unto the Father but by me that being justified, there's that word again, by his grace, God's righteousness at Christ's expense, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Life without end. You want to be saved? Two things. You've got to accept that you're no good. You have to accept that you are an unclean rag. You are a sinner. That you deserve to go to hell. And yet, at the same time, that God has made it possible for sinners to be saved. You have to line up with what the Word of God teaches. You have to have the mind of Christ. You have to be in agreement with Almighty God. Not just a mental consent, but a true, heartfelt belief in what the Word of God says and what he did for you. Please turn to Genesis chapter 12. I teach that sinners receive what's called an imputed righteousness. And Abraham is a good person to read about. He's not technically referred to as being a Hebrew until later on in the book of Genesis. Look at Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Here's a picture of calling a sinner, on the one hand, to salvation, and on the other hand, calling a sinner to service. And I'll come back and explain that a little later too. And I'll make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I'll bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. What's going on here? Quite simply, the Lord is calling Abram, first of all, to forsake his pagan ancestry, to turn from pagan worship. And one of the gods that Abraham and his kindred worshipped was Allah, the moon god. But ultimately he's saying, I want you to leave 
your family, and I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. Now we take that to be first one reference to Israel. If you bless a Jew, the Lord will bless you. If you curse a Jew, the Lord will curse you. Because they are still the promised race. They are still beloved for their father's sakes. And we are expected to pray for them. We are expected to intercede for them. We are expected to show kindness and grace to them. And that's partly pictured back in Matthew 25 when the Lord is judging the nations and he says, you've done this to my brethren and that is a blessing. They are rewarded by the Lord for doing so and off they go into the millennial kingdom. I spent quite a lot of time discussing that during the last three videos and I don't negate the uh, reality that the brethren referred to in Matthew 12 and Matthew uh, 25 are believers in the Lord, those that got saved, they were born again and of course they are being rewarded for their works, uh, the judgment of the nations Matthew 25 whereas we get judged for our works at the judgment seat of Christ jump over to Genesis 15 please uh, look at verse 5, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars and thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. There's a promise that was made to Abraham. The Old Testament greats were saved by believing on a promise, whereas we get saved by believing on a person. Look at verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. A sinner gets called to repentance. A sinner responds to repentance. A sinner turns to the Lord, believes on the Lord, and he receives God's imputed righteousness. Stay with me. Go to chapter 17. Chapter 17. Uh, look at verse 10, please. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep, between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Let's try and spiritualize this into the new covenant. You're called to repent. God has already granted repentance to you. If you're a Gentile, Acts 11. If you're a Jew, Acts 5. You respond to that call to repentance. You respond to that call to be saved. Then you are justified. Then you get baptized. So Genesis chapter 12 is a call to repentance. Chapter 15 of Genesis is a sinner getting justified by faith, receiving Christ's imputed righteousness. And chapter 17 of Genesis is a sinner being baptized by total immersion. So the calling, the justification, the baptism. Three parts of Genesis which I think we can spiritualize and apply it to the new covenant. Go to Luke 23, please. Luke chapter 23. Look at 39. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You have to first of all see yourself as a sinner. <clears throat> You've got two thieves on the cross. One is self-righteous, dies in sins and goes to hell. The other is humble enough to see himself as no good. And he turns to the Savior and believes. So you must admit you are a sinner for the new birth to be of any relevance to you. 
But first of all, it says, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. It's quite likely that the thief on the cross, which has turned to Jesus to be saved, saw him before he was crucified, possibly had some faith in the Lord, but his sins caught up with him, and that's why he's hanging on a cross. And it's quite remarkable that he turns to the Saviour and says, please remember me, don't forget me, think of me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Look at 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. If you got saved today, or if you get saved today, what a great day to get saved, the 1st of January 2016. If you get saved today, you are with him in paradise. In a spiritual sense. No other faith anywhere in the world, as far as I'm aware of, can promise that. But if you turn to Jesus Christ today, if you receive him today, you will be with him in paradise. And paradise is probably the far north, the third heaven. Pre this piece of scripture, paradise was in the ground. But post the ascension, paradise is far north. And one last time from 43, Verily I say unto thee, and you, if you got saved, or if you are going to get saved, today, right now, shalt thou be with me in paradise. You want to be saved? Turn to the Lord and trust in him. And you are with him in paradise. The Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2. And of course the wind has picked up, no surprise there. Ephesians chapter 2. I'll get there in a moment. Uh, verse 4 please, Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Let's break that down. Four. But God, who is rich in mercy, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, for his great love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life, wherewith he loved us, past tense, even when we were dead in sins, spiritually dead, hath quickened us together with Christ, which of course is new birth, by grace ye are saved. It's a free gift. Don't put works into the equation, please. Get rid of the idea that works play any part in your salvation or keeping you saved. I'll come back to that in a moment. And hath raised us up together, past tense, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are spiritually in heaven right now. Now, it's difficult to understand that, but the Bible says you are in the heavenly places, seated, seated, excuse me, you are seated in the heavenly places right now with Christ Jesus. So you are sitting or seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have passed from death unto life. You've had your judgment. If you're a saved sinner, you are judged at Calvary. Okay, Your sins were dealt with at Calvary. But when you die, you'll be judged at the judgment seat of the Lord for your works. How you lived after you got saved. And as you know, there are five crowns which are awaiting you, but those crowns are conditional on how you lived after you were saved by grace. That in the ages to come, seven, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Future generations are going to read Ephesians like myself. And I'm, what, 2,000 years after this was written, 14 years, a saved sinner, 
This will be of relevance to me. This will be of relevance to you if you're saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you realize that if every church in the world understood this, if every group understood this, that most churches would collapse overnight because salvation is a free gift. Salvation is based on what Jesus Christ has done for you, not what you do for him. And I think if people really grasped that enormity, these churches around the world would close overnight. All you need is Jesus Christ to be saved and his word to grow. Churches per se, you don't need them. Now, I'm not against breaking bread with other believers. I'm not against it at all. I'm not against having a word of reading or some exhortation or some fellowship with other people. I'm not against it. The early church met in synagogues and people's homes and had great fellowship with each other. I'm not against it. But I'm against organized religion. And I made that point time after time over the last 14 years. What we stand for, Patrick and I, is a biblical relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from the new birth, but then you have to grow in grace. You have to build yourself up. You have to become a, a real Berean of the word. Go back to what I said, get justification right. You'll be a wonderful blessing to others. Get revelation right. You'll be tremendous when it comes to being a Bible expositor, a Bible teacher, somebody who can bless other brothers and sisters. But as I say, salvation is a free gift, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man or woman should boast. Pitch this for a moment, if you will. If you hold to the false notion that works play a part in your salvation, pitch this for a moment. The judgment has been and gone. You've arrived in eternity, and you've got one group of people that came from the church age that was saved by grace and imputed righteousness, and you've got another group of people that have arrived in eternity, and they're trusting in their works, and they're saying, look at me, I made it by works, I did this, I did that, I was a good man, I was a good woman. It's bragging. But if you take that out of the equation, and if you simply affirm, uphold, grace being grace, it completely negates any level of boasting. But if it's grace, you can't boast, you simply give all the glory and thanks and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 4, they throw their crowns at the feet of the Lamb. But you are saved unto good works. Look at verse 10, please. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You are created unto good works. You are saved by grace. But once you are saved by grace, once you have been kept saved by grace, you are expected to do works. That goes back to the five crowns, which are an offer. That also will play some role in the millennial kingdom. Yes, you're born again by grace, and that puts you into the kingdom of God, John chapter 3. But what you do in the kingdom of God is dependent on what you do after you are saved. So when it says we are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, it's still of God. You see, grace is of God. Repentance is of God. Even your works are of God. That's why you cannot boast in eternity. Which God hath before ordained, appointed, chosen, that we should walk in them. John chapter 1. This is very much a crash course. And uh, when you do open air videos such as this, you have to deal with uh, ramblers, people walking by. And I've got tracks on me, so don't worry. If anybody stops to talk to me, I will give them a Bible tract and uh, try and kill two birds with one stone. John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. For the law, Ten Commandments, civil and ceremonial aspects were given by Moses. But grace and truth, New Covenant, came by Jesus Christ. So there you get two covenants. 
side by side. And yet, when you get to Matthew chapter 11, the word of God says, how all the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. So when it says we're not under the law, we're not. When it says he's come to fulfill the law, he has. So when it says we are free from condemnation, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we are. For the law was given by Moses, past tense, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There are two dispensations. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, primarily for the children of Israel, versus the New Testament, the New Covenant, for the Bible-believing Christian. Don't get the two mixed up. If you do, you will teach a faith and work system, which is another gospel, a cursed gospel. That goes back to what I've been saying all along. That's if we get the gospel wrong, if we fail to understand justification, we are not only doing ourselves a disservice, we are not only putting ourselves back under the law, which is an abomination, but on top of that, we are going to cause others to stumble. And if they're not careful, if we're not careful, they will go to hell. That's how serious this whole thing is. Please turn to John chapter 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You need to hear his word, which for this group of people in the fifth chapter of John would have been orally, verbally, okay? But now we hear it spiritually. The word of God says how faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But it says one more time, verily, verily, which simply means listen to me, act on, as the Germans say, attention, mark my words out, stop what you're doing, take note, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, present tense, everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, judgment, but is passed from death unto life. Go to Romans chapter 1. It's a done deal. Salvation is a done deal. And I can be dogmatic when it comes to justification. Some subjects we cannot be dogmatic on, but when it comes to justification, we can be dogmatic on. We know we have everlasting life now. We know that Christ has died for our sins. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 16, please. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God unto salvation. That word power, dynamite. The Greek word is dynamo for memory. It is a power it is the authority of God. It has real substance to it. To everyone that believeth. Go back to what I've been saying all along. You're saved by your faith in Christ. To the Jew first. Acts chapter 5. Repentance has been granted. And also the Greek. Gentile. Acts chapter 11. Repentance has been granted. Salvation is all of God. So if you get saved, you give him the thanks and the glory. You arrive in eternity and you say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm here simply by your precious blood. Your blood saved me. Your blood kept me saved. Your blood allowed me to do all these things for you. Now for me, it's a shortwave radio. It's making videos such as this. It's doing street work. It's speaking to people online in the flesh. It's simply living and breathing. Is simply coming up to the open air pulpit. It's all of God. One last time, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, Gentile.
Not only is it the power of God unto salvation, but on top of that, it's offered to everyone, Jew and Gentile. Go to chapter 3, please. Look at verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is a knowledge of sin, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 24. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Do you realize how great this is? The whole plan of salvation is just wonderful. If you come to the foot of the cross, if you receive it, if you trust in him, if you believe on him, he will save you, he will give you a new heart. The man I was 20 years ago is dead and buried with the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Romans chapter 6. What I was doing then, I couldn't think about doing now. People say, well, if I get saved, I may have to stop doing this or stop doing that. When you get saved, you don't want to do those things anymore. When you get saved, you want to do stuff like reading the Bible. Making videos such as this. You want to do great things for the Lord. You are saved unto good works. It's such a great blessing. But 20, therefore by the deeds of the law, works, Old Testament, going to the synagogue, going to the temple, going to mass, going to the kingdom hall, going to the steakhouse, going to the lodge. Shall no flesh be justified in his sight, exonerated. You can't pardon yourself by doing religion. For by the law is a knowledge of sin. The law, as I say, is not just the moral aspect, the Ten Commandments, it's also the civil and ceremonial as well. In fact, there are over 600 commandments given to the Jews back in the Old Covenant. And, and one of those teachings were quite clearly laid out. If you didn't keep the Jewish Sabbath, you would be executed. That's how severe it was to a child of Israel. A Jew who didn't keep the Sabbath had the potential to be put to death. Whereas now we are told to put our flesh to death. We are told to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service. You're saved under good works, and you are saved to be holy. The Lord expects you to live a holy life, a righteous life. Okay? Are you sanctified? Are you separated? Are you consecrated to the Lord? Have you divorced yourself from the world? That's what he's going to ask you at the judgment seat of Christ. Have you yielded to the Holy Spirit? You come as you are as a sinner, and he makes you alive from within. Go to John chapter 16. For those of us which teach justification by faith, for those of us which teach that we are saved by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, for those of us which don't teach lordship salvation, we are unfairly slandered by certain people, certain ignorant people, certain self-righteous people, that somehow we are teaching a gospel which is so-called edibilism. It's an False term. What's your what would be the equivalent? A hard believerism? They call it an oxymoron when it comes to such a term. John sixteen, Jesus speaking, verse seven, nevertheless I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you, the Holy Ghost, not Muhammad. And when he has come, he will approve the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because a prince of this world is judged. John Wesley once said that 
if he had one hour with an unsaved man or woman, he would spend 50 minutes preaching on the law of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and the last 10 minutes on the mercy of God, on the blood of Christ, on God's forgiveness. And I completely concur with that statement. When I speak to unsaved people, I will spend as much time as I can preaching the law of God, the judgments of God, his holiness, his righteousness. And sometimes I really drive the point home that they are no good. And then I will go to the cross and say, this is what Christ has done for you. And many times I put myself on the stand. I will say to a typical person, first of all, you're no good. And I will show them why they're no good by the Ten Commandments. And I will say, I'm no good. And I will say that I've been a saved sinner for 14 years and I should have gone to hell a million times over pre my salvation, post my salvation. I'm not self-righteous. And I'll let it right on the line. And I'll say to these people that I should burn. Burn for my sins. Burn forever. And people are shocked when you put it on the line just like that. They're quite shocked that you can be quite frank and direct with them. But people can't be fooled. You might be to kid yourself, but you can't kid the world, believe it or not. And I'll say to people that I deserve to go to hell, but something happened that stopped me from going to hell. And that something is a someone. And I will use the gospel to break down a person's self-righteousness. So 50 minutes on the law, based on Wesley's formula, and 10 minutes on the cross. But it's our job, as Bible believers, to get the word of God out. It's not our job to get people saved, per se. That's down to the Holy Spirit. Okay, He will come, and he is going to approve the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's his job to save a sinner. He does the regeneration. But it's our job to open our mouths, speak, do something, put a gospel out, a gospel tract, on a bus, on a train, uh, go door to door if you can, street preach if you're really bold, or make a video such as this. Do whatever you can, whenever you can. That's our responsibility. We are ambassadors for Christ. But to get people saved is the Holy Spirit's job. So I teach this. I say this, that you have to be convicted of your sin, you have to see yourself as a sinner. You have to deplore yourself. The word of God makes it very clear when greats came into contact with the Lord. They would say stuff along the lines of, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm dust and ashes. I'm not worthy to stand in thy presence. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. And if you humble yourself, if you come to the foot of the cross, if you mean business for him, he, God, will mean business for you. Go to Romans chapter 5. Verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because of justification by his blood. We are saved right here, right now. When I got saved 14 years ago, I didn't know how it worked. Nobody led me to the Lord. Nobody got down and prayed with me. No one said to me, James, you've been saved at 11 a.m. on May the 1st, 2002. I couldn't even tell you what day I got saved. I got saved in 2002, but I couldn't tell you the day or the time or the hour. I don't know. Nobody was praying with me. And sometimes folks are very fortunate to have someone pray with them and lead them to the Lord. 
and say, you got saved at such and such a time, on such and such a day, that's great. But nobody prayed with me to receive Christ. I got saved on my own. And nobody prayed with Patrick to get saved. He was driving home one day, he pulled, uh, pulled to a side road in the car and received Christ in the driver's seat. He knew he was a sinner. But it says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a done deal. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. You don't need to go through a priest or a pope or a pastor or a bishop or Mary. You go straight to God via the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When you get saved, you are positionally sinless. Which means this, that God sees Jesus Christ in you. You are sinless through an imputed righteousness. You are spiritually in heaven, but you're still physically on the earth. How does it work? Well, you've passed from death unto life. You've had your judgment. You are reigning in a spiritual sense with the Lord now, but you're still on the earth. You still battle the old man. A wretched man that I am, what I don't want to do, I do, and what I want to do, I don't do. Uh, if we say we haven't sinned, we make God a liar, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, so on and so forth. So your practical standing will fluctuate. There'll be times you'll be victorious for the Lord, and there'll be times when you'll be an absolute disaster, a mess. There'll be times when you won't even want to look at yourself, because you'll be so disgusted with yourself. But as far as God is concerned, you are sinless. You have received Christ's righteousness, and therefore you can rejoice. You can say he's your God, he's your Father. You can say that Jesus Christ is your older brother. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Getting very cold now, so I'm going to wrap this video up. And I uh, hope this has been a blessing to you. Hebrews chapter 7. Look at 25, please. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing ever liveth to make intercession for them. I love this. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing ever liveth to make intercession for for them. You want a scripture which teaches eternal security, a once saved, always saved deal? There it is. Hebrews 7 25. Look at chapter 9 verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he hath entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. Out goes the blood of goats and calves type of works if you will but by his own blood he entered in once that goes the mass into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us there's only one plan of salvation it's eternal salvation eternal redemption there's no conditional security there's no need to top up your salvation or pay as you go you come as you are, and he imputes his righteousness to you. It's a one-off deal. How much more should the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, deity, offered himself without spot through the blood of Christ, to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I teach that once a sinner is saved, he is saved. Christ dies on the cross once. He says, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He goes to heaven, the Holy of Holies, and he goes now once with his own blood, and he deposits his blood in the Holy of Holies for the sins of the world. And I think we are literally saved by his literal blood. I don't want to get into this semantic nonsense that we're saved by his death, which of course we are, but he shed his literal blood. 
It started in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it concluded on the cross. So you are saved by his precious blood, not by your good works. And it says one last time from 12, by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It's a done deal. How much more should the blood of Christ, 15, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? Flawless. Sinless blood. A sinless man. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. You're already saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, unless you have believed in vain. Go back to justification one more time, please. Some people think that if they go to church, or if they give this up, or give that up, that they are somehow appeasing God. No. You come as you are, and you receive what he's done for you. If I put some money into your bank account, it wouldn't benefit you until you took it out and spent it. God has already put his blood in the Holy of Holies. He's already paid for your sins on the cross. So all you need to do is turn to him and receive it. But we can't negate the potential that people are going to die by trusting in a false gospel. That's what Galatians 1 is all about. Those that preach another gospel. But the great thing is you're already saved, according to this, by which also ye are saved. Present tense. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. It is possible that some of these Corinthians that he was writing to weren't saved. But if you are saved, if you believed on him, then you are kept saved. In fact, you are sealed, according to Ephesians 4.30, unto the day of redemption. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Old Testament. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 68 prophecies about his ministry. Looking at the first coming and the second coming. Unlike the Quran, there's nothing and he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And some of those people that saw the risen Christ wrote the New Testament, unlike the Quran, unlike the Hadith. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this presence, but some are fallen asleep. Let's see, you got this epistle around 50 AD or 55 AD. And he wanted to know more about this group of 500 that saw him at the same time. You could have gone back to Jerusalem or Galilee, Nazareth, Capernaum. And you could have said to those people, did you really see the risen Christ? <coughs> and they would have said, yes, we saw him. We lived and dined with him. <coughs> we experienced great things in his presence. But the Quran, written, what, 200 years after Muhammad dies in, what, 631 AD? Contamination, Chinese whispers, telephone, as it's called in America. You can't trust that. But when this was written, 50 AD, 60 AD, over 500 brethren saw him at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some have fallen asleep. They've died in Christ awaiting the rapture. When I look at the world religions, I can't find anything that comes anywhere near this. God comes to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. 
He lives a life you and I could never live. He dies in our place. What he went through is what we should go through. And he says, if you trust in that, if you believe in that, I will save you. And I will keep you saved. And you will be a Christian, a follower of Christ. You'll be royalty. You'll rule and reign with the Lord in a spiritual sense when you're first saved. John 5, 24. Ephesians 2. And if you make full use of all of the works which you've been saved unto, Ephesians 2, not only will you get five crowns at the judgment seat of Christ, which is the most you can receive, but on top of that, if you really dig down for the Lord, if you really put yourself out for him, you'll do great things during the millennial kingdom. It speaks about those that died in Hebrews 11, wanting a better resurrection, wanting a better reward, wanting something more for the Lord. And that goes back to what you do after you are saved. Salvation, one more time, is a free gift, but you're saved unto good works. You're saved to do great things. But what you do will depend on how you lived, and how you lived will be dealt with the judgment seat, and that will be what will be the conditions for your ultimate inheritance and blessing and entrance into the millennial kingdom. But again, go back to what I've been saying all along. You can't claim any credit for yourself. This isn't about you. This isn't about me. This isn't about your church or your religious upbringing or your membership or your good works. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation, grace, crowns, entrance into the millennial kingdom, and then going off into eternity. We're told from Isaiah chapter 9 how there will be a continual increase of his government. His government will know no end. His government will continue to expand into eternity. The church age, for the most part, is just a blip. The millennial kingdom is just a blip. Once you get into eternity, then things really start to open up. But we can't really understand the whole situation when it comes to justification, sanctification, glorification, adoption, having angels in submission to us, possibly even space traveling, according to some of our premillennial brothers that have gone before us. So we keep things simple. We have to see ourselves as finite beings with a very limited understanding as to who the Lord is, and we simply reach out to him like a beggar would do, and we receive his death on the cross for our sins, and we trust in that, and the Bible says you've had all of your past, present, and future sins washed away by the precious blood of the Lamb. So there you are, a pretty uh, full video, and the way that I'm now making these videos, for those that might be interested, is that I bring two batteries up to the open air pulpits. So if it is a bit spliced in parts, or it is a bit uh, uneven in parts, the chances I've had to switch the batteries over. On top of that, I'm dealing, dealing with the elements. I'm dealing with the wind, and uh, say so people walking by me. But don't worry, I've got tracks to pass out to them if they are interested. But uh, the whole purpose of what we do at this ministry is to get people saved to go and speak to people wherever they are and interact with people as when we can and to help people to grow in grace when I first got saved I didn't really have anybody that I could look up to if you will to help me along uh, some of the greats that I listened to at the time are now dead some are retired, and some teach a message which I wouldn't want to support. So I'm very grateful that the Lord has allowed me to become a Bible teacher. I do see myself as an evangelist at heart, as I know Patrick does, but 
what we were able to do in 2015 when it came to giving out 70,000 tracts. Hopefully, Lord willing, we can add to that uh, throughout this year and go up to 90,000 tracts. On top of our January outreach in London, we've got the summer outreach coming up in June. So we are still planning for that. And we, pr uh, we pray that the shortwave radio ministry will expand out, that more people can hear it. It's good to be able to do the shortwave. It's good to be able to reach people who haven't got the internet. Uh, but I really want to stress one more time the desire to reach more people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Street work, wonderful. Videos, brilliant. The radio, extraordinary. But speaking to people on the street, interacting with people on the street, it's brilliant. It's something which you can't explain, you've never done it. And to think that you are having a part in someone's salvation is incredible. It goes back to legacy. You, know, you want a legacy, don't you? I want a legacy. That's not something to be uh, ashamed about. Where did he have a legacy? Spurgeon had a legacy. Most of the greats, D.R. Moody, had a legacy. They put themselves out. They saved people. And I do believe that the Lord's going to say to those of us at the judgment seat, Who have you brought with you? I saved you unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. Where's the fruit? Let's see those that got saved as a result of you putting yourself out for others. But if you don't put yourself out, if you don't deny yourself, if you don't pick up your cross every day, if you don't count the cost, if you don't put your flesh to death, you'll be nothing. And you'll arrive in judgment, in eternity, with nothing to show for your life. You're saved, of course you're saved, and you're kept saved by an imputed righteousness, but no works for you. And if you are carnal after you got saved, you might get a whipping. Luke 12. And you might be denied entrance into the millennial kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 onwards. But if you confess your sins, 1 John chapter 1, if you turn from your sins as a saved sinner, that's right, you can turn from your sins as a saved sinner, that's not a work. If you teach turning from sins to be saved, pre-salvation, that's a work. But if you teach that a saved sinner can turn from his sins after he is saved, that's common sense. That's Bible. David turned from his sins. Solomon turned from his sins. Peter turned from his sins, Galatians 2, and got back into fellowship with the Lord. So if you turn from your sins as a saved sinner, you escape the potential whipping at the judgment seats of the Lord, and you will be able to receive a full reward, crowns, angels, and submission to you. But if you stay as you are, fleshly, carnal, living as you choose, then you risk losing it all. And I hope that throughout this year, if you're not saved, you'll get saved. And if you are saved, you'll dig deep into Scripture, put yourself out, get the Word of God out, and try and make a difference to those all around you. But I think there's all to play for. Everything is to play for. I think the best is yet to come for those of us which are saved. And who knows, maybe the rapture will come this year. It could come this year. I'm not saying it will, but it could come this year. It could come at a moment's notice. And if you're not saved, get saved. And if you are saved but messing around in sin, get out of it. Repent, turn from it, and come back to the Lord. And he will receive you with welcomed arms. You get that from Luke 15 with the prodigal son. It says that before the sinner turned back to his father, the father was running to the sinner, running to his son to embrace him. He puts a ring on him, puts a cloak on him. What a great picture of restitution. I don't know what you've been up to. I don't know what you've been doing if you are a saved sinner. But I know that if you turn back to God, he'll turn back to you and he will, he will receive you back unto himself. And if you're not saved, come to him. And that's scripture from Hebrews 7. He is able to save you to the uttermost that come unto God by him because he ever liveth to make intercession for you. He is our eternal, unchangeable high priest. And he will save you to the uttermost. You know you're saved. Your name is written in heaven. 
And you can't get that from any other religion anywhere in the world. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. As always, a crash course Bible study from a very cold and now blustery open-air pulpit. But you know me, I like to push on. Once I start a video, I like to finish it. And uh, I want to encourage all of you to get down into the Word of God, to dig deep into Scripture, to do great things for the Lord. I wish you every possible blessing for 2016. Any failure you had last year is behind. Leave it there and push on. And I hope that the Lord will bless you all abundantly. I pray this will be a great year for all of you. And uh, enjoy yourself, enjoy your salvation. Uh, give God all the glory and credit. It's all about Him, not us. And uh, I think that's all I want to say. Just over an hour now on my feet. And uh, thanks for watching. And I'll speak to you all soon. And the Lord bless you. And Maranatha.